there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. The doctor's not only in, he's back on our shores from Europe. And the first question... Out of the gate here, Dr. Batar, is how is your father doing from last week when we learned of his stroke? Well, Robert, thanks for asking. Uh, he's doing wonderfully well. He's uh, actually been able to spontaneously start to recover more sensation and more mobility. He's still got most of his right side that's non-usable, but we just flew him in this morning mm-hmm. from Philadelphia. And uh, as this is being broadcast, he is getting his first uh, brain recovery protocol treatment and uh with the grace of god by next week we'll be able to tell the whole world that he is walking on his own with no support that'll be amazing by the way those of you who are new to the robert scott bell show and or the special monday edition when we do advanced medicine with dr batar last week was a stroke intensive we talked about it, uh, you know, through the emotionality of your own father going through it while you're overseas. But I encourage people to listen to last week. All of the archives are up at robertscottbell.com, naturalnewsradio.com, and you can really easily access the Dr. Batar segments at medicalrewind.com. And uh, I appreciate you going through in great detail not only the stabilization that needs to take place in even the traditional allopathic hospitals, but also the protocols for recovery, as you said, brain recovery. We're not going to revisit all of that today. So I'm encouraging anybody that's interested in that, go listen to last week's show. You'll get a sense. If you have a loved one, a friend, family member, anywhere that has been through stroke, you'll definitely want to hear some of these options so you can communicate to your physician or find a physician who is able to do that, uh, like Dr. Batar. So, all right, that's great news. I want, we'll obviously keep following up on that, and uh, I know your father's... Before, a, before yes. we change the subject, I just mm-hmm. want to mention that, you know, we've talked about in the past the awareness and how more and more people are becoming attuned to the changes that are occurring. We've talked about the post-December 21st, 2012, the change that's occurring, the, sh- the universal consciousness increasing and improving, and people just generally becoming more in tune with their surroundings, with their environment, with other people, with their intentions are changing. And I think that the awareness is just increasing at an exponential rate. Well, what was interesting was the physician that was taking care of my father and there was a lot of talk about you know his response to what we would be doing, et cetera, et cetera. And I really didn't care about that response. And as I told my siblings, if I have to, I'll go there, pick up my dad, and you know carry him on my shoulder all the way back if I have to. Right. But it was really remarkable. I had a conversation with him. Very, very uh, intelligent man. Very caring. Very open-minded. And. Uh, basically said, hey, whatever you need, you just let me know. I'll discharge him outpatient if that's what you want. And, uh, you know, please keep me abreast of what's going on. I'm really curious. I'm really intrigued by what you're talking about and what you're going to be doing. And I'd love to see what the results are and maybe um, see if we can start to utilize some of those aspects. Wow. That's a, so, that that know, is a shift. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, again, I think more and more doctors are becoming that way. And, uh, um, you know, it probably didn't hurt for him to know. I mean, I didn't say anything, but apparently he knew um, encountering my other siblings, that two of the siblings were attorneys and, you know, my uncles and my cousins, and they're all doctors that were there. I think he, my dad had, like, yesterday 
12 doctors that were visiting all family members. So <laughs> it probably, you know, helped. That may have helped. But the point is, though, he himself was very open, receptive, and actually intrigued to know what we'd be doing and, and also to see what the post-treatment components would show and the results that he could, you know, he, he wanted to know what the results would be so he could also share in them. So I told him, I said, I'll take a video and I'll send them to you so you can see yourself what the what the post-treatment results are. And so he was very pleased with that. How, how What age range was this doctor that was cared for your father? Just kind of curious as to how that might I, be playing out. I'm not sure. I, I would I would assume that he's probably, he's the head of the hospital. So the hospital, the rehab hospital that my dad was at. So I would assume he's probably in his mid-50s, but, you know, not much older than us, but mm-hmm. certainly not um, in the 60-year range. So I think people in our age groups are becoming more accepting. I think the doctors that are in the younger generation, maybe 10 years younger than us, they're the ones that are actually more aggressive. Maybe maybe I should say the newer graduates are more aggressive about learning some of these things. The ones that are maybe 10 years younger than us, you know, mm-hmm. they may be a little bit hesitant, but they're definitely more open. It's the, it's the ones that are maybe 10 years ahead that seem to be more resistant. And then the I see guard. doctors that are in their 70s and 80s, some of them already retired, some of them are getting ready to retire. They seem to be actually also more open. It seems to be the group between 10 to 15 years ahead of us that are the most entrenched within their belief system. So the older guys and the younger guys all seem to be more accepting, yes. but it's a group that's you know right in the middle. The, the one that I would say the the doctors that were born in the in the 40s and 50s seem to be the most entrenched. Right. Well, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm looking at these age groups because they come in waves, you know, the consciousness of these uh, uh, people that kind of incarnate at these times, and they have similar experiences across the board. Of course, there's variations within that. But then we see, like, the you know, the kids coming in, like our age children, they're here for completely different reasons right. uh, than, than that group that has come in, has been on, here, on this planet for 50, 60 years or so. Yeah, you know, you're so accurate when you're saying that because it's not something that would be uh, blatantly obvious, but when you start looking at this, there definitely is a pattern. There's without a doubt a pattern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's what fascinates me about all the generations. Like when I was a kid, always asking questions of my elders about what it was like when they were young. And, of course, it helped me to guide me to understand that what I was going through was not normal except it was getting more normal for the generations that we've seen since then to be chronically ill as a child. Uh, but it, th- that kind of thing fascinates me. Now also talking to the, the next generation elders about where they are, what they've seen in their lives. And as you said, those those docs that are retired or in their 70s, they're at this point going, you know, screw all that. Whatever you got that'll help me, I'm open to it again. Right. And, you know, the docs that are like retirement age or getting closer to retiring, the docs that are in their 70s and 80s, these guys seem to be so much more, well, I guess because back then there wasn't a doctor that would specialize in the gut and doctor that would, you know, a gastroenterologist versus a a general practice doctor. I mean, the the general practice docs did the surgeries, they did the babies, they did the the basic stuff. In other words, I remember when I was growing up, the doctor that was probably in his 30s or 40s at that time that I met, you know, he's probably now in mid-80s if he's still alive, 
that doctor did all the cholecystectomies, all the gallbladder surgeries. He also did all the baby deliveries. He also did all the general practice stuff. He also did basic orthopedics, bone setting in the cast. He was, he was a family practice doc, but he was doing these type of surgeries and everything because there was nobody else around. The closest place was having to go into St. Louis, which was about 80 miles away. Hmm. And I remember coming into his waiting room, and I remember seeing a cage with a chicken, and there was a goat that was right. tied outside. And that's because people were paying him in chickens and goats because they didn't have enough money. So it yeah. was a real old-time doc. And, you know, those people, they seem to be much more open and receptive to innovative things. Some of the best things I've learned in medicine were by the old-time OBGYNs that were talking about using magnesium intravenously for preeclamptic patients. Well, they would also tell me, you'll be surprised what you'll see with the asthmatic patients when you give them magnesium and this and that. You know, when you talk to the, your peer group, you talk to the, your professors, they would think you're crazy by talking about giving intravenous magnesium but i started doing some of the stuff that the OBGYNs, the old-time OBGYNs taught me uh-huh. and sure enough you saw the universality of what they were talking about yeah it, it, it's so, it's such an interesting thing to kind of bring up now and talk about it as well uh you know we i don't fear there are some people a lot of people in fact fear hearing from others you know and, and looking at things because they had a different consciousness let's just say it they came in at a different time their experiences shaped them differently we could say that they were more programmed than perhaps we were but uh, quite honestly i was programmed and i had to deprogram from a lot of the thinking to do what i do today as as have you and, and so for me i i like hearing the stories it helps me and that's why i am willing to say hey dr Batar, was there perspectives perspectives over in europe about what's going on in america that some americans might not want to hear but we're we're forthright about it we talk about our own country and culture about the the shortfalls as well as the things we do appreciate and like i was just very curious and i mentioned that last week as to your experience with the folks overseas yeah actually i don't know whether we mentioned it because that's kind of a blur to me i know that we mentioned we talked about it but i didn't know whether it was on the air or off the air but the the common sentiment among the few people that i talked to was they could not believe that Americans were still sitting and tolerating this. One of the people that I talked to, he was on a train, and amazing that you know you encounter a Ron Paul supporter <laughs> in a foreign country, and his comment was, I just don't understand why Americans are sitting and tolerating this. He said it's, it's actually disheartening, was the word that he used. And... You know, when you hear people talk about, like the politicians in our country, talk about that these other countries hate us because we love freedom and they hate freedom. Well, that's a load of rubbish, and you and I both know that, and hopefully every intelligent human being on this planet knows, and everybody's listening to us knows that that's a bunch of rubbish. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves freedom. The reason a lot of people don't like Americans is because we are the only nation that has camped out in over 700 uh, different facilities around in the world other countries. And, yeah in other countries exactly and you know the thing is if you look at europe and their history through the second world war the americans were re- were genuinely seen as liberators exactly so, and i think that's the reason that he made that comment that it was disheartening because if anything we are as a nation recognized throughout the world as the one beacon of freedom not that we love freedom and they hate freedom <laughs> everybody loves freedom but we're the beacon of freedom and so when they see us being minimalized and when they start seeing us that we are the 16th ranked nation now for individual personal freedoms you know when you look at these independent ranking sources from this was a company out of great britain i think i mentioned this last week hold on let's go to that we got to take a break i lost track of time here listen i'm always fascinated by this dr batar obviously here advanced medicine monday continues after this break 
The Robert Scott Bell Show. For thousands of years, silver has played an essential role in safeguarding human health. Robert Scott Bell Show listeners know that Sovereign Silver, bioactive silver hydrosol, is the purest and most effective form of silver available. Only Sovereign Silver contains the smallest and most active particles in every bottle, each batch rigorously safety tested to guarantee the highest quality. At only 10 parts per million, Sovereign Silver outperforms other colloidal silvers 50 times more concentrated. Sovereign Silver acts faster than echinacea, oil of oregano, and other immune products. Tastes like water and has more uses than anything else for the immune system. And Sovereign Silver now comes in a topical first aid gel. Use Sovereign Silver gel on cuts, scrapes, minor burns, bug bites, itching, eczema, diaper rash, and more. Sovereign Silver is the number one selling silver brand in the U.S. For a free information packet to order or for a store near you, call 888-328-8840. That's 888-328-8840 or visit SovereignSilver.com. Rockin' the health world to the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, what are the stories coming out from around the world as Dr. Batar has been traveling all over, hearing uh, from healers and, and patients alike all over the world? What are they looking at as, as what we're doing? What astonished me, what you just said, is they're amazed looking at Americans. is like, how are we tolerating? And I'll, I'll put the words out there and you tell me if they're right. How are we to- tolerating such a loss of liberty here at home? Exactly. Exactly. And it's not a liberty it's all liberties they're seeing everything changing and there is more talk about the u.s dollar not being the reserve currency and you know that's going to be a tremendous uh, blow to the american economy as if we need any more blows to our economy but a lot of the freedoms that we take for granted is not because of anything else other than the fact that the u.s currency is the world's reserve currency and when and I, i don't think it's a question of if when the U.S. dollar is no longer the world's reserve currency, there will be certain components in our economy that we have taken for granted for two or three generations that will come screaming and slap us right in the face. For example, we complain about gas being at $3.5 a gallon, $4 a gallon, but you know there are many countries that have paid 5 6 7 $8 a gallon for the last 20 or 30 years because their currency is not the world's reserve currency. So we have expected and seen certain components in our economy that we've just taken for granted. But if we were to ever lose that status, which I think is inevitable, which pretty much all leading economists are saying it's inevitable, whether it's next year, whether it's in 10 years, you know, it's coming down the pipeline. Right. But when that happens, I think we've got a rude awakening before us. Yeah, and it's important. It's things like, you know, what Ron Paul had been talking about in his uh, years in in service as well. And and that impact went around the world as people began hearing that message. Uh, So, you know, again, I'm encouraged that people are aware of it, but also what you say is so important. It isn't that they hate us because of our freedom. Again, we this is old news for a long time, Robert Scott Bell Show listeners. But if we have any new listeners, the recognition is it's one thing to love liberty. It's another thing to force liberty in our version of it around by the barrel of a gun around the world uh, and that's that violates fundamental freedoms of other countries of self-determination you know 
I, I, you know, I, I, this gets into controversial territory, Dr. Pitar, when we talk about this, because I'll say some of, some of those, uh, and I love them, friends that I have on the, on the left of the political spectrum uh, will, you know, have been for Obama and for Obamacare. And if I were to say they love liberty a little less than me, it's not to make me better. It's just to say, listen, you don't want the freedom to care for your health or to have the, your fellow Americans have the freedom to choose the path that they want. Instead, you want it imposed from above. That is not a, f- a love of freedom, in my opinion. Well, you're absolutely right. It's not a love for freedom. Any, in, any logical, sequential-minded individual can't say that it is freedom. As soon as you have somebody else dictating something, that's no longer freedom. Even if you believe in your distorted sense of reality that somebody telling you which way to go allows you freedom because you don't have to make the choice, well, that's not freedom. Right. That's called, you know, the way you call it, sheeples. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a why. dependency. It's, it's like when you're a child... Certainly, you're not capable of doing certain things to care for yourself. That's why you are in the care of your family, hopefully. Uh, at that point where you reach the age of majority, you can go out and work, and you can, you're looking forward to, I'm going to be autonomous. I want to take care of myself. I don't want to ask permission to stay up late at night. And yet, like you said so well just now, if you think because now you don't have to make a decision or, in theory, to care for yourself because of something like Obamacare and you're more free because of that, uh, they, you, you've got a rude awakening coming as well as the whole idea of what you said about the foreign currency or let's say the U.S. currency being the world currency, which is, it won't be forever. Yeah, and I think that there are certain people that have seen this coming you know, for decades, two, three decades, like yourself, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're, you're like one of the only people that I know that have seen this coming and that has lived by that philosophy, been true to yourself for decades. Now, I mean, not 10 years or five years, but 20 years ago, from what I understand, based upon our conversations, and I hope I'm not getting into an arena that you don't want to cover, Robert, if I did. No, no, that, you're, uh, you're talking about it in ways that are comfortable to me, so we're fine with that, yes. Right, well, it's, and it's to have those type of projections and that type of insight and foresight, you know, that's, that's very impressive. I mean, these are things about you, I've known you for a long time, but these are things about you that I didn't know till just maybe three or four years ago, but... It's impressive that you saw some of this coming 20 years ago. You know, people have said, well, you know, Dr. Tahar, do you know this stuff? And I'm, I'm so impressed that, you know, I'm like, me, look, look at Robert Scott Bell, who saw this coming 20 years ago. So they are, they are people that have seen this, and um, probably people like Ron Paul saw this 30 years ago, 40 oh, yeah. years ago, that yeah. the setup was occurring. Yeah, and they, of course, they are called the nuts, the kooks, the conspiracy theorists, the wackos, all of those things. And, uh, you know, if we live for other people and what they say about us, then we're never going to be happy. That's why it doesn't concern me. It, it kind of uh, mildly amuses me. Uh, and with that amusement, we're going to take a break and come back. Always a great discussion with Dr. Rasha Bittar here with Advanced Medicine Monday. We'll tell you more about where you can learn about Dr. Bittar after the break. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Hey, Dr. Batar is here and he's back on the shores of America. We're grateful for that. He's taking care of his dad as we talk about. We'll follow up on those uh, those things in recovery from stroke. Also taking the long view. We talked about uh, our elders, whether they be in the medical profession or not, and the fascinating things that, that we can learn from them. And, and Dr. Batar, the long view, of course, those that are into health and healing from a natural perspective, 
will always take the long view. They'll say it's not about the quick fix. Uh, tomorrow you do one thing and then you just abandon it. It's always about, you know, how do you see the future? We were talking a little bit about the economics as well as the politics of these things. And even when we talk about health care, uh, when Ty, for instance, talks about the Flexner Report at the events, you love that. He's going back 100-plus years to situate us to understand what is going on today didn't happen overnight or a week or a month or a year. And it wasn't random by any means. It was very thought out, methodically planned, and executed in a very precise manner to result in the current state of affairs. This was not something that you can say is coincidental or just happens to have occurred. It is with surgical precision that it has occurred, and the Flexner Report starts the whole process. Yeah, it does. And, and of course, three years after that, you get the Federal Reserve Act of 1913. We're in uh, 2013 still, and right now we're on the, the cusp of the 100 years of that. And now we're seeing the impending disaster of the money that was removed from something that was considered a constitutional form of money or constitutional coin. And so these are the things that I started seeing when I started looking at my health and even you know my spiritual beliefs, the things. I was learning, I had to apply them in all of these areas in order to be that whole person that I feel I need to be in order to sleep well at night and care for my family. And some would say, well, you've sacrificed a lot to do it. Well, yes, in some ways, if we have a a perspective on material uh, goods, perhaps, but ultimately, I think, you know, we're we're much more than material beings, so we've got to make other decisions eventually. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Robert. And I think more people realize that it's one of the it's one of the key components that we all as human beings have to face. And we've talked about this, I know, previously, that we are not these beings. We're not human beings having a spiritual experience. We're spirits having a human experience right now. Right, right. And when we talk about it from that perspective, we start realizing that many of these things that we're seeing are not as they appear. And there's so many, even movies, now, you know, like The Matrix, you know, the trilogy talked about the blue pill, the red pill, people willing to wake up and, and see the reality and see really what's happening. And many people choose the option of keeping their head buried in the sand. And God love them. If that's what they want to do, that's fine. But there are many people that don't want to do that and they have pulled their heads out of the sand and have seen the truth. And when we talk about healthcare now, we start seeing that the most important aspect of healthcare is what you do yourself. You cannot turn over the responsibility of your own well-being to anybody, leave alone a governmental agency. You can't leave it even to another doctor. You have to take matters in your own hands. And when people would say, well, how can I do that? I'm not a doctor. I don't understand medicine. I don't know what the drugs are. You know what? Get up and take a walk every day. You don't need to be a doctor to know the benefits of that. (laughs) And if you don't know the benefits or don't even know that it's possible that you could get benefits from that, do it for a month and then see how you feel differently. Get involved with an exercise program. Start eating more organic. All the things we've talked about on the show, all the nine steps in the book. There's so many basic things that people can do. And that is the fundamental aspect of taking responsibility of your own health care and that is the best insurance policy and then you can start going to the the next level you start reading more learning more realizing what you can do you eat more whole foods you don't have things that are gmo modified and you don't Mm -hmm. take in things that have insecticides and pesticides laced in them and you know the whole thing we we make sure that we make choices take make the right choices drink clean water etc etc well it's it's funny when i talk to you know groups of 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 elder elderly people okay let's just 
just call it that. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll often, well, I'll, every, in fact, every time I present, I bring up your book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. And, and, and some of them kind of look at me and it's like, wait a second, you're bashing doctors. And I said, no, and it was written by a doctor. And then they, they kind of chuckle and go, oh, it's okay then, because they still have that authoritarian perspective on it. Uh, but it really is when you recognize the great dangers that doctors potentially pose, as much as they uh, may have the intention to help you, much of their training has hampered their ability to genuinely help you outside of, as we've talked about, the acute trauma care when they excel and where they excel appropriately. Well, Robert, it's funny that you mentioned that about the older generation, too, because I've actually found um, now that the book's been out for over three years, it's, you know, Amazing. international bestseller and all that stuff. But, you know, the people, the patient population that I've found that really, really has appreciated the book has been the population that after reading it say, you know, I've been doing seven of the nine steps on a regular basis. I've been doing eight of the nine steps on a regular basis. And these are people, some of these people are in the 70s and 80s, and they're enjoying phenomenal health. And they told me that, you know, when I read your book, a lot of it wasn't new. Some of the things were new, but I've been doing this and this and this, and I'm not on any medications, and I feel fantastic. So I really appreciated your book because now it validates what I've been doing, and I'm going to add this step or that step. And that's like music to my ears because yes. that in itself is more validation than anything else. Because these people, some of these people have been doing what I'm preaching mm-hmm. already. These are not, they're not my patients. They're not people that I know. Um, of course, some of them are my patients and they've been doing it and, and we've seen the results. But what I'm saying that when you have a stranger come up to you and tell you after a seminar that I've been doing what you wrote in the books, you know, seven of these steps or eight of these steps. That's cool. And I attribute a lot of my current phenomenal health and ability to do the things I'm doing at the age of 76. And you've seen some of these people at the advanced oh, yeah. medicine seminars. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. I tell you, a guy that needs some of these nine steps uh, is, is Norman, who wrote in. I talked about this a little on yesterday's show, Sunday's uh, uh, broadcast, and I thought it would be nice to get your perspective on it as well, because he wrote asking about his hereditary, as he cl- claimed, debilitating form of muscular dystrophy called Charcot-Marie Tooth Disease, which I hadn't really dealt with much as a homeopath, although we go by symptom pictures pictures and we can address it no matter what they call the darn thing but the reality is he's dealing with muscular issues as well as neurological issues a lot of pain a lot of dependence on drugs including you know heavy narcotics like morphine and uh you know if you have any insights we could throw it out there there may be others like him out there listening well again not to incite the medical profession against me but robert you know what my rule is that if there is some disease process that has more than four words in it. Yes, yes. Means, okay, so this is close. I mean, it, you could say it's four because the word, word disease the word, is yes. in there. So, you know, Charcot-Marie Tooth's disease, that makes it four words. So it could actually fall into that criteria. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those people that don't know what that is, that basically if there's more than four words in a diagnosis, that just basically means that the... Uh, doctor making the diagnosis didn't know what the hell else to call it so he came up with this um, sure it's a way they can say well listen uh it's too complex for you to know here's a drug or 10 to take and we're more interested in well what what could possibly bring this on i don't care what you call it and then we'll start undoing it and i certainly suspect any kind of a massive pain in the body uh heavy metal uh issue mercury issue without a doubt is one of the first places we should look absolutely and this person 1996 he was diagnosed with this, so he's already at 17 years with this diagnosis. And, of course, he names a lot of the drugs he was on, and none of them worked. And it says, unfortunately, the only drug that worked to relieve some of the pain, some of the pain, were narcotics, such as morphine. And, of course, he's now addicted to it, so that's his question. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, when I read this, Robert, and we discussed this during the break, we've got two issues here. We've got the original 
problem, what was diagnosed as a Charcot-Marie-Tooth disease, and then we've got the secondary issue of the dependency upon the narcotics. Right. And uh, so, you know, I guess we'll just attack both of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, the let's go backwards. I was so amazed by Ty's lecture on hemp. Yes. And how our forefathers had actually, I mean, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, all have quotes regarding marijuana and its use, not only in health, but also in prevention, in industry, in all sorts of different uh, applications. But uh, certainly something like uh, morphine dependency and its implications on the liver, that's, that's a serious problem that will take time and effort to wean him off. And then, of course, you've got to deal with the pain issue itself. So the addiction is just one aspect. But then when you take somebody that's addicted to pain medications off the pain medication, then you've got to deal with the addictive, uh, the addictive aspect as well as the analgesic aspect, the pain aspect. Right, the return of the pain. And, and you bring up hemp. And as I said, I told my yesterday audience, uh, tomorrow's show, I've got an expert on cannabinoids. And uh, we may have found a source that anybody, even if you're not from a state that has legalized marijuana, uh, for medical use or other use, we may have an access to a source that we'll put out there tomorrow. But, uh, you know, this is a, this is a, a realm where we're just going to have to dive headlong in and, and catch up because we've been so far behind on this. Right. And I'm not talking about people necessarily smoking it, even though that mm-hmm. may be a way to get some of the benefit from it. But there's many other aspects uh, of marijuana that can be utilized in so many different components that have been studied and researched and found to be of benefit. So, and of course, there are states that have legalized it, and you can get a prescription and get the marijuana so that you can use it for pain control. So that's one aspect, and that's probably the only thing that I could make a suggestion on as far as the pain aspect and how to get off the morphine, because he will need to have some support as he's doing that. Of course, there's also a methadone that he can use to come off and then transition from the methadone to something else as well. But regarding the primary issue, the actual diagnosis, um, this again, it's not rocket science. It's the seven toxicities. Yes. Probably heavy metals and the persistent organic pollutants are the fundamental underlying components, the ideological components. I would assume that they would be a th- the third toxicity, the opportunistics, that just because the heavy metals and persistent organic pollutants will suppress the immune system and allow these opportunistics to set up. I'm sure that there's probably an energetic component. Um, from the electromagnetic, the ambient cell phone radiation, many of these other components. Right. Um, certainly there has to be a fifth uh, toxicity, the emotional psychological component. I'm sure the foods, the manipulation of the various foods from the genetic modification, the pasteurization, homogenization, I'm sure that also plays in a role. So I would say that six out of the seven toxicities for sure are probably components that have affected this gentleman and, and allowed him to have this diagnosis made. Um, and then there may be even some spiritual component to that. I mean, it's hard to say without knowing his full history, but just based upon this email that he sent us, you know, he's got a lot of issues, toxicity issues underlying this this diagnosis. Yes, absolutely. So we're at the point again of finding uh, help, uh, genuine help at this point uh, from the from medical profession that ideally if they understood how to do what you do in terms of intravenous uh, administration of the synthetic amino acids to bind out and accelerate uh, a metal detox for sure but just short of that uh, you know nutritionally we've d- discussed this uh, for many years as well we've talked about other aspects of far infrared uh, sweating out some of the toxins that the liver and kidneys are not able to handle as well 
high, proper hydration. Uh, you know, I talk about microclustering water even to hydrate the cells at a deeper level. That's you know kind of a homeopathic principle too. So uh, we don't want to say that you're SOL without a doc, but I think at this point this guy needs help because of the addiction to the painkillers. And we're SOL because we're, it's a break time. We're going to be back to wrap it up with Dr. Rasha Bittar after this. Advanced Medicine Monday continues. Live around the world. The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. We appreciate everybody uh, chiming in and asking questions, making comments. 866-939-BELL. You can call and leave a message 24-7, and we can air your call with Dr. Batar or just uh, as Norm did. Write it in at the website at robertscottbell.com. We're happy to hear from you and, and answer to the best of our ability on the radio here. And Dr. Batar, again, we, I was just saying before we had to rush to break uh, that this is a case where a guy genuinely needs a little bit of hand-holding to come out of this uh, mess that he's in. Yeah, absolutely. I think he, he's going to need more than just hand-holding because he definitely has an issue that has got him to a point that he's in pain. He's not been able to do certain things. I mean, obviously, it's affecting his respiratory muscles, the inspiratory and expiratory intercostal muscles that he mentions is making it difficult to breathe. And he's obviously got some other issues. One of the most important things that anybody can do when they've got any type of health challenge, look at the gastrointestinal tract. Mm-hmm. Look at the gut because that is the one place that's the only conduit to the outside world, if you think about it. Because from the mouth to the anus, there's a continuity to the external world. Right. Meaning that if we were a tube, that mouth and the anus would be either side of the tube, and that is consistent and open to the external world. The gastrointestinal system, people think, is you know inside us. It's actually not. It's actually the inner lining of the outside world that allows, it's a barrier that allows everything to come in and be absorbed into our actual tissues and into our into right. our body but that area the space in the colon the, in the stomach in the esophagus all the way from the mouth to the anus is actually continuous with the external world so if you can get that component optimized so that everything that we're taking in and everything that we are getting out in other words all nutritional intake all water everything that we take into our system and everything that we need to expel all our waste product actually well i shouldn't say all most of it because you know we do sweat some of this out we do breathe some of this out but the vast majority of the waste product comes out of the gastrointestinal system and um, and the vast majority of the nutritional intake goes into the gastrointestinal system. So anytime there's a chronic disease, that's the first place that we should look at. Yeah, it's too bad you didn't write about any of this in the nine steps to keep the doctor away. Right, so it's all in the book. Yeah, exactly. In other words, get the book. You'll read about it there. And it, it is it's one of the coolest and weirdest things at the same time, the facts you find out about the gastrointestinal tract from mouth to, I, I like to say when kids are present, they like astronomy terms. I say to the planet Uranus, and, and the adults get it, you know. <laughs> but it, it is amazing when you learn that's the external body carried it within the body, but also kept separate from it. And it's that barrier is broken so often by medical intervention. We talk vaccines and antibiotics biotics and then all the other heavy metals and everything that that poses a a direct challenge to epithelial integrity we've got to correct that and heal that or else we're always chasing something 
Correct. Absolutely. And, and then as a dog chases its tail, you know that it's just an exercise in futility. You'll never accomplish anything. You have to, as you said, Robert, mm-hmm. get down to the source of it and deal with these imbalances that have been created by most often by medical intervention, by modern medical intervention, and mm-hmm. also a lot of times by our lifestyle. Yeah. And we get into the emotional, mental toxicity, even the spiritual toxicity when we have this perception of, I can't do it. I'm not a doctor. That is really a belief system that's very powerful and damning to those that 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 kind of live by that. Uh, and it isn't to say that everybody's skilled as a surgeon. That's not the point. But you've said it so many times as well. There are so many things that you can do that would prevent or even replace the perceived need for all the things the government is saying we all need. Everybody needs health care. And then they define it in ways that defy logic and defy health. That's so awesome that you said that, Robert, because intellectually... And intuitively, we know that these things that we're being told are not conducive to better health. Just follow your instinct. Your intuitive component will guide you. And just taking a walk after dinner, a 20-minute walk, and see how you start to feel. Just consuming one-half to two-thirds your body weight in ounces of water every day. Do that for 30 days along with your walk after dinner and see how you start feeling. And then you'll realize you don't need anybody to start telling you what you need to do to get better. You don't need those drugs for your knee joints. And you don't need the drugs because you're getting dizzy. You just start doing these two things. And, you know, these are just two of the many, many steps in the nine steps. But, again, I'm not, I don't want you to even get the book. Just do those two things. And then if you decide that you saw benefit of them, then get the book. Then get the book. It pre-qualify you. You're going to call them up. Now can I get it, Dr. Batar? I've done the two things. And you'll go, okay, yeah, now you can get it. No, Very cool. Well, what an awesome Advanced Medicine Monday. And last week, of course, it was Advanced Medicine Tuesday. Just so you know, Advanced Medicine happens seven days a week. It just so happens that Dr. Batar typically gets here on the first day Monday. So uh, I'm glad to have you back on our shores. All the, all the blessings and prayers for your dad's recovery. I know he's, he's in good care with you, and uh, we look forward to keeping up on that and so many other things we get to do together. Well, Robert, I'm hoping that next week on Advanced Med- Medicine Monday, I can tell you that, hey, go check this video out. There's my dad, and he's walking now. Well, and the power to heal is yours, and it's his. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Robert. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Robert Scott Bell Show. 